0: Welcome to The Projections Podcast, a dialogue about film and psychoanalysis hosted by me, Sarah Catherine Cleaver. And me, Mary Wilde. Just like Steve Martin in Grand Canyon, we feel that all life's riddles are answered in movies, and our first series aims to introduce you to our podcast through a discussion of cinematic representations of mental illness.
1: For the next six episodes, we'll each pick a film and use them to explore the capacity of moving image to showcase the emotional and mental functioning of six different psychiatric diagnoses. Anxiety, depression, psychosis, narcissism, borderline personality disorder, and psychopathy. Film is a means to unlock the mysteries of the human mind. Subscribe and follow our cinematic adventures into the unconscious.
0: So, we haven't done this
1: for a while. Yeah. This is our sixth episode in the series. This is our
0: final episode in this series. It is. Hi, Mary. Hi, Sarah. Um, I'm very excited to do this one. Me too. I've been, very, I've been
1: excited since day one. Same. Today, we're
0: going to talk about psychopaths.
1: <gasps> Exciting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not cool how, how excited I am to talk it's about so psychopaths. It's so fascinating. Mm. It's so fascinating. It's such a sort of mind puzzle. Yeah. Um, just as a concept.
0: It is it's mind yeah. blowing. Um yeah. we were talking about this just before and it is something I think that is so alien to most people's mm-hmm. experience of the world that it is the opposite of most people's experience of the world, I exactly. guess. Exactly. And so we're all incredibly fascinated by it. And because we're so fascinated by it, it's even more dangerous.
1: Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: um, and we're going to be talking about yeah Rock, Rock, Orange. That's right. 1971. Thank you. Um, followed by nocturnal animals. Yeah,
1: 2016.
0: Thank you. <laughs> uh, but before we get to the films, let's talk about. Let's talk about.
1: Yeah, let's talk about it as a psychiatric uh, classification. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also a term that sometimes is. Uh, considered synonymous with sociopathy. We're going to be referring to it as psychopath psychopath and psychopathy throughout. It's basically considered to be and widely accepted as a personality disorder. um, And it's characterized by uh, antisocial behavior, um, impaired um, empathy and remorse. So Mm -hmm. these are people who do horrible things, but they don't show that regret. They don't have that kind of filter. Um, regulating their behavior, their conscience doesn't seem to operate the same way as you know, non-psychopathic people. Um, they exhibit also often very kind of impulsive, bold, disinhibited behavior. Definitely. Um, and there are also very big dimensions in their personality related to um, narcissism and egotistical traits. Yeah,
0: that's definitely true. And you can definitely... They're comparative with narcissists in terms of their sort of behavior and lifestyles. Right. But the their inner workings, a, a narcissist will be suffering quite a bit. Exactly. A psychopath will be having a great old time. Oh, yeah. Which is not to say that a psychopath can't suffer, as no. we're going to get into when we discuss some of these films. That's right. I think there's a common misconception that psycho- psychopathy is like being robotic, is not feeling anything. Exactly. And there are a lot of feelings that psychopaths can have. Yeah. You know, they can have... They can have a, they can have rage. They can have joy. Yeah. They can have frustration. They can have self pity. Yeah. They can have a lot of, they can have a lot of the things that we all have. Yeah. It's just that the things that they don't have are the things that can manage, that, generally manage to control the rest of our behavior. Right. So anxiety, guilt, shame, all of those. Kinds those things of the,
1: that would prevent them from committing horrible acts. Yes. Yeah. And
0: most and importantly, empathy.
1: Empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are people who, uh, across the board. They will do terrible things and not show any remorse. Like they, they, they sleep at night, mm-hmm. and you know they're. They've all, often. It's also something that has been described as you know psychopaths as the criminally insane. Yeah, and that's and uh. that's that's a correct uh, qualification because I think that you know um, because of the tendency of f- for them to do you know. Terrible things in in very excessive ways and not show empathy. It logically follows that they would fall into crime. Mm-hmm. You know, and there
0: there are people that need to be constantly entertained. Exactly and excited. Yeah, they have. Uh, you know, as we said before, they've got higher tolerance for yeah. you know anxiety producing activities. <laughs> yeah. so they would. They do tend to go into all of the antisocial things thrill-seekers thrill-seeking whether yeah. that's whether that's crime or violence yeah. or excessive promiscuity or you know relationships that are you know multiple and exciting or drug-taking yeah and to to an ex- to an extreme not, oh, yeah. in the, not in the kind of not in the way that the rest of us will dabble in those things that's right
1: yeah that's right um I mean, interestingly, psychoanalytically, this is not something that's been explored that much. Um, Freud was, he didn't really dedicate that much time to looking at the psychopath as a structure. Um, He did talk about, um, you know, as as you would expect, there is one passage in Freud where he says that uh, the criminally insane are uh, repeating formative uh, crises, Mm -hmm. you know, from their past. And they haven't actually established functional ways to cope with maybe perhaps extreme things they've witnessed or they've been caught up in or a part of in their past. And they're just kind of repeating that on a much larger scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But... um, but then again he tended more to gravitate towards like the neurotic type
0: well and um, as he may want to because mm. there is a general consensus mm. as yet that it's not curable exactly so if you were it's a, exactly. you know, a good so point it's a, it's a frustrating <laughs> job it's a frustrating area of psychology to base
1: your career on totally um and he was and inventing psychotherapy have. so yeah. he uh, it makes sense that he wouldn't be pursuing a strain of Ill- mental illness that Frankly, you know, in in a therapeutic sense, there's not a lot of hope there. Mm, No. Because for someone to enter the therapeutic process, they have to actually feel empathy. They have to be able to transfer their emotions and reflect and introspect. You're not going to really get that Mm -hmm. with, with, with people who are actually exhibiting these signs. Um, Not that
0: people who exhibit these signs don't seek out therapy. Sometimes they seek out therapy for fun. Right, exactly. Um, As part
1: of their own kind of twisted amusement. Exactly. The idea
0: that that they can manipulate someone and they can pretend or they can exhibit all of these emotions that they know that they're supposed to. Because it's not as if they don't know how, what these things look like. That's In fact, right. because maybe because of the way that they function, they recognise those things a lot better than other people. Yeah. I read this had this horrible fact, and it made me feel mm. very victimised. That they yeah. did a test on a, a group of psychopaths for a recognition of um, of you know facial expressions and oh, the emotions yeah. that correspond. They're particularly good. Listen to this. Oh, it's horrible. At recognizing sad women. Oh, my God. How
1: horrible is that? Oh, yeah, that's awful.
0: Especially since sad women are so fashionable these days.
1: Oh, We're all in trouble. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That actually makes me feel a bit creepy. It makes me feel really sick as well. That's really... Yeah, I mean, in, in a sense, it's a very predatorial um structure isn't it Mm -hmm. because they're what they're what they want they're seeking out targets uh people to manipulate and take advantage of and exploit um and it would make sense then that they would seek out people who are exhibiting vulnerability in some way and also people who they probably know uh don't really um receive their deserved kind of Support in society, mm-hmm. you know, that actually pe- people that are a little bit cut off or marginalized in some way or, um, you know, targeted in any way. And since, you know, um, in a patriarchal society, it, w- it would make sense. Yeah. And
0: also the fact know? that as a group, we're generally brought up to put the feelings of others exactly in a very for our own. Position. Yeah. It's that, you know, you were an ideal target. And that's definitely wow, something that's scary. I know. It's definitely something we're going to get into in our discussions of these two films. Absolutely. Because I found, particularly in one film, the treatment of victims mm. very interesting and personally
1: very frustrating. Mm. Um, okay, anything more on psychopaths? The last thing I want to point out with this structure is that I mean, I think that times are definitely changing now Mm -hmm. with the democratization of information and social media and how people are coming forward more and, in a way, more readily expressing their their feelings and often, you know, um, as the case may be, uh, frustrations with their own, like, mental life, you know, their emotional landscape, etc. But there was a time where the only time you really heard about mental illness was in the context of, like in the battle days, uh, in the context of the evening news, Mm -hmm. where you heard about some, you know, quote unquote, crazy person, uh, you know, shooting up the place or committing terrorism or whatever it was, you know, rape, murder, whatever it was, or theft. And they they would bring on you know an expert and they and 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 the person would say well this person has a mental illness they're a psychopath and that became almost like a kind of a catch-all for all man- for all mental
0: illness, yeah, yes, definitely. And it that that idea of psycho, right? That that word that gets thrown around a lot, exactly. Um, it gets thrown around still, particularly yeah. in relationships I, and yeah. descriptions of romantic problems. Yeah, um, yeah, that is that's really true, actually. You know, so. and,
1: and and this idea, this sense that um, mental illness was this kind of like. Um, some kind of equivalence with the criminally insane that if that if you then were in a different context and someone told you that you know they were suffering maybe they had depression or anxiety that it 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 had such a taboo around it because of the attachment to criminality mm-hmm. that people actually were afraid for their own well-being they thought that They were in danger if someone said that they were suffering in some way emotionally. And that's a really interesting thing.
0: It is interesting. And I think that it is really important to say that um, they don't consider, in the criminal justice system, Mm. they don't consider, even though it's a personality disorder, a psychiatric condition, they don't consider it to be... a. A defense of insanity, right? You're if you're you are you have a defensive insanity if you're if you're suffering from some kind of psychosis. Sure. Not or maybe you're impaired you're, of your yeah, judgment. Yeah. If you're, yeah. Maybe if you're seriously depressed or yeah. seriously, you know, you're having some extreme mental trauma. Sure. Psychopathy is not mental trauma. No, no, it's not. It's traumatic not traumatic at all. You're quite right. And that's something to really remember. And it's something yeah. that's very hard to remember because. A very big feature of psychopaths is their attractiveness. Yeah. In all ways. They're very charming. So charming. So um, popular, generally. Yeah. Very, very easygoing with people. Because... And, but that's... it's. I read... Okay, when I was young... Yeah. My dad terrified me by giving me a book called The Gift of Fear. Oh, yeah. It's very irresponsible of him, but on the other hand, very <laughs> responsible. I was about 12 and oh, he yeah. gave me this book. And the begin initial chapter started with a description of a woman um who came in to her apartment building with her shopping yeah. was offered help by a handsome kind polite stranger who followed her into her apartment and raped her at knife point for oh 3 hours wow. so I'm 13 <laughs> and um but the thing about it was that you had all these horrifying stories and then you go back through the stories and you find all of the signals that you ignore as a sort of person who thinks the best of people and is polite oh yeah and one of the most important lessons i got from that book is don't think this person is charming, think this person is trying to charm me.
1: Right. And that's a
0: really important definition of that word. Charm it's a really is good not, distinction.
1: Charm is yeah. not a personality
0: type. No. It's um it's a charm is a is a verb. Charm mm. is something you're doing. Mm. So that's really I don't know why I threw that in, but I like
1: that because it's actually implying that um, there is some kind of deliberation going on. Oh yeah. It's lightning fast. Exactly. But it's there. It's there. There is a kind of premeditated, uh, I guess, intention there of trying to exploit or trying to manipulate Mm -hmm. and using whatever it is, you know, um, whether it's uh, a way with words or a a certain, you know, kind of amplifying uh, certain attractive features, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you're right. I think that distinction does need to be made. That there is a deliberate aim, really.
0: Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah. And it's also worth saying that there are psychopaths out there who have never done anything particularly terrible. Mm. And or at least never done anything criminal. Mm. They but it's likely that the person that you know that is causing all of the chaos. Yeah. That might be that might be one. Yeah. It's yeah. it's unlikely that they'll go through life having oh having
1: a functional, useful, mm. selfless time. That's basically. right. And actually, another thing that um, reminded me of what you said is often the term antisocial, mm-hmm. because this is something that's such It's such a strong component of this disorder because it goes with what you just said, that they're actually creating so much social chaos, um, really kind of... Um, Sort of damaging mm-hmm. uh, the, the fabric of the way people relate to each other, you know, e- whether it's causing rifts or um, you know, drawing people into conflict, causing emotional damage, whatever that may be. So the term antisocial is very important there because it's it is a kind, it, it's a very I don't want to even say nihilistic attitude to society. It's destructive, mm-hmm. and um, it's done in a purposeful way. And I also have heard people use the term antisocial to describe people who just don't like to go out. That's totally, that's not the no. right term. People, are, I think, intend to say asocial, um, which some introverts are. I like.
0: identify us. Yes, me too.
1: <laughs> I'm asocial. Um, you know, I, I, I would prefer to spend time on my own mm-hmm. rather than go out and socialize. I'm, I'm really bad at social networking. Like, it's just it kind of terrifies me. But yeah, I remember someone saying that to me, like, "Oh, you're so antisocial." I'm like, "I'm not no, a psychopath." No. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of neither here nor there. But just to kind of clarify on some of the terms,
0: I've got um yeah. Robert Hare's book here, Oh yes, which I am looking at, and I have worn this book out, like,
1: Amazing. people
0: wear you know, like people wear out their copy of like Pride and Prejudice <laughs> or something really nice and comforting. It's got. Hot chocolate stains on it. It's got email addresses written in the back cover and it's coming away from the spine. But I just, before we started, wanted to remind us of some of the key symptoms. Yeah. Um, Glib and superficial. Yeah. Egocentric and grandiose. Absolutely. Lack of remorse or guilt. Lack of empathy. So, two different things there, even though they're sometimes characterized Mm. as the same. Deceitful and manipulative. Shallow emotions. Impulsive. Poor behavior controls. Need for excitement. Lack of responsibility. Early behavior problems mm. and adult antisocial behavior, which we've sort of been through. Yeah. They tend to have a lot of um, short-term but very serious relationships. Yeah. Often a few kids. Yeah. That's quite a, that's quite a symptom.
1: Yeah. and Leave a lot of yeah. chaos in their way. Yeah, wake. leave a look
0: at and just very, very briefly walk away from it. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Because mm. they don't have that remorse or that sense of responsibility that, oh, she, you know, actually, I've created something here. I need to stand by it and... Mm see it through, you know, um, and actually be there for the people that are involved in the situation because they don't have that emotional glue that binds them Mm -hmm. through empathy. I mean, that's the, that's the thing about empathy is that it's, it's that connection, that sense of intimacy that you're actually a part of someone's life. They're never really a part of humanity. That's why when you well, said alien, yeah, it, it is, really it is really alien. It is really alien. There's there's really a lack of a sense of humanity. And I think they probably um on some maybe unconsciously, they probably think humanity's a joke. Well, definitely.
0: I think there's a very there's a real and that partly that's why the films that we select today but difficult mm. to watch. Yeah. But there is a sneering attitude. Yeah and it that comes from the grandiosity and right. the, you know the sense of self importance yeah the narcissism, the narcissism. yeah it, there's definitely a lot of narcissism in there
1: yeah there is
0: um and also i think when they mentioned that early childhood behavior yeah. there's the other mystery about psychopaths and no one knows where it comes from because right. some people do appear to be born with that and some people do appear to have have developed it through some horrendous abuse or trauma mm. or you know not
1: ever being taught
0: empathy So it's a very strange strange unanswered
1: question. A lot of unanswered questions. I I know that some neuropsychologists are interested in um, the the sort of chemical um, factors in the brain Mm -hmm. and certain neurotransmitters like dopamine seems to play a part. But even at that level, it's very difficult to like single out really a process um, in the sort of pathways of the brain. All they can say is that there's certain correlations, but it's it's all still very much a mystery because there are some people who go through very traumatic childhoods, and you know they they've they've suffered and they've seen the worst of humanity, but they don't grow up to become psychopaths. Yeah. So if you cannot make that absolute link, it's
0: very yeah, it's a very strange one. Yeah, and because as we said, you know, it's not an area of psychology that there's a ton of no. you know investment or research in no. because you know there are there are. As we said, there are a lot of people in a lot of pain. Not that we're being unsympathetic to people that are psychopaths because they have their own problems, I'm sure. But be sympathetic, but just keep your distance. Yeah,
1: they're they're very destructive, so there has to be that kind of guard that remains Mm -hmm. very firmly up. Um, And also, just in relation to the early onset of the disorder, um, some research has shown that a lot of uh, juvenile delinquents, um, or, or rather that a lot of psychopaths, have been shown to have been juvenile mm-hmm. delinquents, so it's, it's better to say it in that way. Um, and that makes it interesting too, because adolescence is that time of rebellion and kind of like um, doing the opposite of your, what your parents want you to do. And a lot of a lot of kids go through that. It's mm-hmm. a normal aspect of growing up, and it's a very key feature of that developmental process. So it's it's one of those things where, it, you know, I'm not a parent, but if I were. If my teenager was um, misbehaving, um, you know, is the impulse to think, "Oh, that's just normal," you know, "you're just a you're just a teenager," or is there a worry that think, you know, that would make me think, "Oh my gosh," you know, uh, "are these the early signs of psychopathy?" You know, like it's and a funny if thing. If it is
0: the early signs of psychopathy, is there anything you can do?
1: Well, that's the thing,
0: <laughs> which is really scary. That's and the scariest upsetting. aspect of it. And um, can I ask? Actually, yeah. I'm really fascinated. What is your Personal, mm. if you, do you feel like you've ever met a psychopath? If we, you know, do you have a personal yes, fascination have. with it?
1: I have met a Tell psychopath me what you before. Can. Okay. Not, not more than you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I met a psychopath. Uh, unfortunately, I had the, the misfortune of being employed by one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was someone who um, s- systematically... Um, Yeah, just, I believe, mistreated me, Uh, never showed any remorse. Um, And it was a very difficult time because when you're caught up in that situation, you don't know whether... It's, it's your fault, um, whether, you know, you have the responsibility to bear for, for, for this treatment. And because it was such a huge imbalance of power, it made it even more frustrating and difficult. But ultimately, what when, it's the moment I realized that this person definitely was a psychopath is when um, it was just that sense of never, ever showing any remorse or any empathy in, in response to my suffering. I was, I was visibly upset. And I remember one time in a meeting, she just laughed. She just laughed right at in my face. And it was really scary because it was kind of a sobering moment in Mm. a sense, because actually, even though it was really uncomfortable, and really painful, I also at that point realized that there's kind of almost no point trying to It is actually, form,
0: yeah, kind of it's, liberating. Yeah, it's very liberating. Yeah, now, so there's no, there's, there's nothing to worry about anymore because yeah. there's nothing you can do. Yeah, apart from get away. If you, can, yeah,
1: yeah, that that really marked. That was a kind of um decisive moment for me because that's when I kind of just started to come up with an escape plan. Mm. Um, so I'm very uh, relieved to report that I'm no longer <laughs> working for that person. But it was just that kind of moment of realizing that. The, the, the kind of eternal struggle that I was caught up in trying to relate mm-hmm. and trying to form a bond it, it was always going to be futile because this person they had literally no regard for me no. or my suffering in fact I think they, I think that this person actually found the very enjoyed Im- your suffering yeah. yeah I've seen that in people yeah so it was painful but also I think uh, a very important lesson to learn
0: it, I think it's a very yeah. important lesson to learn because mm. another scary fact mm. it's one in a hundred yeah that seems to me an intolerably high number. Oh yeah, that's very upsetting. And it's in prison. It's something like forty percent. That's right. It's a very number. high percentage. I threw that number out yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's um,
1: it's, it's very a very high significant percentage. yeah. Um,
0: but in general society, it's. It's
1: it's way too high. One percent. One percent. Yeah.
0: That's uh, that's very very upsetting. Yeah. But it's it is something that's out there. It's something yeah. that we're probably all going to have to deal with once in our lives. Yeah. So something, and I think it's something that society is understanding more and more recently. Yeah. I think I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of films and books that misunderstand it and mistreat it that's right but i think that gradually people are starting to understand and i would recommend this book that i have on the table absolutely without conscience, without conscience. it's very very good and what's the other one the uh, the mask the face the mask mask of faces the mask of sanity Ah, oh, right
1: no that's I'm the not... other big one yeah I think.
0: yeah um it's it a great it title book. it's very good isn't it yeah um didn't for call it like madness without mania or something like That's that. That's right, yeah.
1: yeah. It, it just in the sense that, um, yeah, I, mean, I think for him, mania was such was so much more something that, in a sense, was treatable. Yeah. You know, it was something that you could almost isolate in the therapeutic um, setting and, and, and try and look in a very objective way. Uh, whereas this was something that... Yeah, it's just, it's 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 really a very daunting task to try and really wrap your mind around what made this person the way they are. Um, they are clearly mad, mm-hmm. but what is the intervention here? There is none. There is none.
0: And we're definitely not qualified to explain no. to our listeners how to deal with the psychopath. Certainly not. It will be a really challenging situation if yeah. you do have to. But take comfort in the fact that you're not
1: one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that
0: it, that... They probably also will lose interest in you eventually.
1: Right. They'll move on <laughs> they'll because that's on what they do. Else. Yeah. You exactly. will not be
0: their favorite victim. No.
1: <laughs> that's um, a good way of putting it. Which is really sad, but it really, is sad. really true.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I also have an experience this. the psychopath. Yeah. I was going
1: to ask you, what, what, what is your... Um,
0: I mean, I, uh, I grew up in a family that... We grew up with a psychologist for a father. Yeah. So I discovered psychopaths psychopath when I watched Cape Fear. And oh, yeah. Asked, I was like, well, I don't understand what's going on with this character. And my dad explained to me what a psychopath was, and it blew my mind, Mm. because it was was the complete opposite of how I felt. Sure. Um, And, um, I mean, I'm not, I can't be sure, because I don't have, because this, what, I think people make this assumption that this checklist is the checklist. Sure. And that's not what the checklist is. The checklist is a much more complex document with Mm. thousands of, Mm. of, things on there that you can only gauge in a therapy session with someone. Yeah. So just because you know someone who has all of these qualities doesn't necessarily mean that you've you can you're able to diagnose a psychopath. Quite. But I would say that I had someone in my life, um, definitely not anymore, but did have someone in my life that had all of the personality traits and all of the behavioural wow. traits. All of those all of the lifestyle. Oh my God. And it was and it was incredibly traumatic and difficult. Yeah. But and but at the same time uh i've really enjoyed the attractive aspects of it and mm. i think that is that is what makes them so powerful absolutely um but definitely there are a lot of things that we're going to talk about when we talk about yeah. these films that i rec- i just recognize so 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 much yeah and i and it makes me i makes me wonder how much the directors are also interested in the psychopath thing. Yeah. Because there's really, there's really, or the actors, there's really good portrayals.
1: Oh, yeah. Some people are just absolutely brilliant. That's right. Very convincing. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. But also in a very innovative way, in ways that you wouldn't, you know, not in obvious ways to portray a psychopath. I mean, the obvious one probably would be, like, you know, a film about a serial killer.
0: A film about a serial killer, or maybe one of David Lynch's, yeah.
1: like, uh, cartoonish, you
0: know, uh, That's right. terrifying Like films. in Wild at Heart, you like know. Like in Wild yeah. At Heart, yeah, yeah, which is, and the thing about um, Wild at Heart is that you're actually really disgusted by that person, yeah. and he's, you know, he's not quite charming enough to be one. He's yeah. just mad. Yeah. Just a totally different thing, but... Um, or Mr. Eddie in Lost Highway. Mr. Eddie, Yeah. yeah. There's actually I mean, I think we've decided that we're gonna do little Patreon episodes where we talk about the films we could have talked about during yeah, these episodes in yeah. a little, little less detail. That's right. But there are a lot of there are a lot of characters out there that embody and it's very difficult to embody fully mm. a psychopath in a two hour film that's
1: right you know, you and i mean you know particularly actors who are who who do have a lot of empathy through their work mm-hmm. that's how they portray a brilliant performance because they're conjuring up those emotions they're accessing a very complex network of like a very com- complex spectrum of feelings so it takes a very gifted performer mm-hmm. to convincingly portray someone who has a very limited spectrum, and it must
0: be a difficult experience. Yeah, to do it, I think. I think so. I reckon that you know, if you really do get immersed in that role, you'd have to, you'd have to recover. From well, it.
1: I mean, take a look at what happened with Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. He was portraying a psychopath, and because he was a method actor, when he was um, uh, performing in *The Dark Knight*, he was the Joker. Uh, he lived that character day in, day out Mm -hmm. for the entirety of the shoot. And he would, you know, when he wasn't filming, he was cooped up in a hotel room, uh, drinking and, you know, rehearsing and just being in that character for however, however many months. And I think he must have been a very sensitive guy, very sensitive artist, and I'm sure it took a real toll on him. And it's probably not, too surprising to learn that it was in the wake of that performance that he w- became very self destructive and ultimately that led to his death, mm-hmm. his untimely death. And it's very sad because I'm a big fan of his.
0: That's very interesting. That's an indirect not the murder of murder by suicide, Right. Really? <laughs> yeah. When you think about it, it's true. And it's um, so sad. Yeah. There's, oh, God. I've just, often thought really
1: of um, just. Um, in passing, I've often thought of Heath Ledger as a young Brando, like yeah, that, that tortured that. tortured beauty kind of thing, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, so sad, but uh, so, oh yes.
0: Yeah, so this, yeah. we're going to do stuff the other way around, this yeah. episode, just yeah. for this episode only, we're going to talk about the later film first, and the earlier film second, that's right, um, because we feel that the first film has, of a, much a, a bit more of a straightforward and sort of, by the checklist yeah, uh, definition of a psychopath and uh, the second film of clockwork orange uh, there are there are multiple stories and yeah. um, interpretations going on yeah so <laughs> so uh, nocturnal animals yeah this is um this is a the second film by tom ford that's right um and it tells the story of a gallerist yeah played by amy adams um in a, a Life that is quite superficial, looks very beautiful. She handily Mm. wears a lot of Tom Ford beauty products. That's right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Lucky her. Lucky her. (laughs) And uh, she is in a marriage that we're sort of led to believe is a bit loveless. Mm -hmm. She has uh, a lot of wealth, Mm. but not very much happiness. And she receives a manuscript written by her ex-husband, dedicated to her. Mm. And it's called Nocturnal Animals, which is a nickname nickname. that he had for her. And so you have these two stories. You have her story, the real life story. No, three stories, don't you? Yeah, actually. the real life story, the story in the novel, yeah, and the story of her past relationship with this man. Who's yeah, reminiscing. Yeah, yes. um, and the book is the book is interesting because it's almost an analogy for the experience of psychopathy itself. In the it's it's unavoidably bad. Mm. It's about a family that go on a road trip and what happens to them is a terrible, terrible thing that they have no chance of getting out of. Yeah. And I felt that so much more when I watched it the second time. Mm. There's nothing they could have done. No. Because the the psychopath that they encounter, who's played by is it Aaron Taylor Johnson? Yeah. Um is is just so merciless. Yeah. And so Excessively violent. Excessively violent and so um so confusing. So maddening that he he's impossible to escape. That's right. They are they are sort of shoved off the road. Their tires deflated, and his wife and child are kidnapped and taken away and murdered. Mm. And um, and he spends the rest of the book attempting to find justice and struggling with his own post-traumatic stress disorder and his his fear, his terror, his absolute terror that this person inspires in him. That's right. And uh, Amy Adams feels very moved by it without mm. quite realizing that the psychopath is an analogy for the her treatment of him. During That's, their right. <laughs> That's right. That's um, right. So it's a revenge. It's a revenge film. Revenge film. Yeah. Um, and it's the best kind of revenge because revenge is of course the best motivator for creative mm. and uh, literary success.
1: Mm. Um,
0: and it really, it's, it really, I think the thing that these two films, there are a lot of these two films that we're talking about have in common. Yeah. It's a bit of a heavy-handed film, both both slightly heavy-handed. Both there's a are. moment where they where the two characters gaze at a painting that says the word revenge That's
1: right. on it.
0: Um <laughs> yeah, they're both sort of um there's the both sort of overwhelming displays, like visual displays. Yeah. And made by
1: perfectionists. Made by yeah, obsessives. Obsessives. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tom Ford is already, in my mind, an auteur.
0: Oh, hugely. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely is. And he was uh, before he made Oh, games, absolutely. You know, when, yeah. On the runway, With, any, yeah. At, anytime. Yeah. And he, but he's also an incredible businessman. Yeah. He's just He's just uh, one of those type A personalities. Yeah. <laughs> Although I haven't heard anyone fight feel unhappy with his directing, which yeah. when it comes to Kubrick, you hear That's a lot right. of people <laughs> had a very difficult yeah. time. Yeah. Um and had, you know, physical injuries yeah. and emotional injuries. Whereas you don't hear that about Tom no. Ford. So he must have found some way to channel his perfectionism yeah. in a friendly way. Yeah. Which is nice. Which is nice. Um but I do want yeah, I do wonder how interested he is in psychopaths because or in Not necessarily psychopaths, but sort of detachment and um,
1: the mental state that maybe sits alongside the the experiential reality of of psychopathy. Yeah, maybe it's more that.
0: I think he's very interested in um, like overstimulation. Yeah. Which, I mean, coming from a fashion background makes a lot of sense. Because that is a very fast-moving, exhausting industry. Yeah. And there is a lot in this film that suggests overstimulation Mm -hmm. and um, desensitisation. Yeah. To a certain extent. Like, within the first few minutes, characters getting blinded by headlights. Yeah. that happens a lot. You know, there's a lot of, like, too bright lights. Yeah. Um there is from the very first, and the opening the sequence. Opening sequence is oh my god it it's overstimulation. yeah, it's very brutal. yeah, and that is I think maybe what prompted Victoria Cora Mitchell's... oh yeah, let me, let
1: me let <laughs> me <laughs> let me find this because it did make me giggle a bit. Mm-hmm. So she writing in The Guardian, opposed the popular critical opinion around nocturnal animals, asking, and I quote, why all these raves and prizes for a piece of gynophobic death porn?
0: Gynophobic death porn. I mean, I do. I just appreciate the words. Yeah, that's gynophobic a great turn of phrase. Porn. It's a great band name. I mean, write it down. That's
1: a great band name.
0: Um, <laughs> it's a really good band name. I uh, I like Victoria Cora Mitchell. I know that people are annoyed by her because she's very, very clever but I, and pompous. But I quite like her pomposity.
1: On the other hand, I don't think she has any business being a film critic. I agree. I agree. It's not a thing. No. And I think that when you're not a cinema person, and but you, you enter that field and you want to publish your opinion in a very formal, serious mm-hmm. way, what you're doing is you're coming into a language that you don't speak. And you're making references to things that cinephiles understand in a very complex way. And I'm afraid, you know... You will be proven to be incorrect, and I believe in this case she was. Yeah, I, I think her intentions yes,
0: are, are noble. She, yeah, definitely.
1: Very, you know, very sincere. Um, but I completely disagree. Yeah, I do as well. Yeah, because um, I think it's a film... I can see film, where she's coming from. I can see where she's coming from because there are very violent scenes that take place. Uh, you know, the attacks on the women are nothing short of brutal. They're
0: brutal, and then their bodies are laid out in this very artistic way. Exactly. And that's that, you know... That's I what understand. she mainly com- what, complained about yeah. because she
1: said that the, she, Tom Ford was guilty of glamorizing mm-hmm. rape and murder. And that's
0: something that's been leveled at the Clockwork Orange since its release. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. you know... Some some cases I, I some cases I agree. In some yeah. seconds of the film, I agree. Yeah. And in some seconds of the film, I don't. Yeah. Um, and I do I do see it, but I think the the film is the film is about violence in so many ways. Nocturnal Animals. Yeah. And I think the best. Well, I think let's talk about Aaron Taylor Johnson.
1: Oh my God. And his character. Wow.
0: Who is. Um, what a great
1: performance! Incredible.
0: Yeah. Um, he's. I mean, it's the writing as well. Yeah. Because his use, I think it's his use of language yeah. that is so incredibly exact. And there is, the, you know, psychopaths have like a, a very specific use of language. Yeah. They don't all talk the same. No. But there is a sense of complete chaos mm-hmm. and contradictory things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they And that sort of, that. I mean, I think it's so brutal, the scene with them in the car. Uh, that it had to be broken up in the film. Yeah, it's broken up a few times yeah. by uh, going back to Amy Adams' life, and I'm glad it was because to watch that entire that in its entirety, it's terrorising And he he, this is such a this is something that anyone who knows a psychopath has experienced. He runs them off off the road, and accuses them of running him off the road. Yeah,
1: gaslights them.
0: He you know slashes the guy's tire and then and says he's going to change it. He you know he uh, says he. He taunts them. He taunts them. He he tortures them, and they because they are playing by the rules of they're terrified of him and they know that something terrible is going to happen and that they can't escape. Mm. But they're still playing by the rules of conversation yeah. and politeness. Yeah, and it's that's not it's where really he's operating. Yeah, because it's he's not he doesn't play by those rules no. at all. And there's and there is no way that they could play by any any other rules mm. because they you know they're good people and they. And they're scared. Yeah. But there is, that's, I found it, that, that's probably the thing about it that I found much more upsetting than the, the you know, the red-haired bodies mm. lying on a, on a sofa. Yeah. You know, that's, I, I actually found that quite a peaceful moment. You know, it's very mm. upsetting, but, you know. Compared to what compared goes on to, that night. Compared to, you know, and I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot in, you know, we talk a lot about violence mm. at the moment. We talk, You know, post-Weinstein, we talk about violence. Yeah. Sexual violence a lot we talk about. Yeah. But there is still it is still violence in language is still something that's that is to be spoken about. Yeah. And the violence that you encounter, just speaking to a psychopath, exactly. And don't realise until you've walked away from it is oh, really yeah. is astonishing.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like it's psychopaths have this knack for trapping people in linguistic corners. Mm. And it's like they ensure that there's no escape. And there's this kind of very um, Machiavellian way of treating people, um, always trying to assert their dominance over them so that they're never felt, you know, as the weak one. And, uh, And it is a kind of... There is that kind of uh, inescapable link with power mm-hmm. and their desire for power, but to use it in very exploitative ways. Uh, funnily enough, there are there is also a lot of research being done around in the corporate wor- world where people who uh, climb the, the business ranks mm-hmm. and become CEOs, uh, they've been demonstrated to display a lot of the characteristics of psychopaths because they've stepped on so many people along the way to reach their goal. They're so single-minded uh, and they have no remorse. They will destroy lives and make people redundant and step over people and steal people people's work mm-hmm. and steal bonuses. And steal money. Steal, steal people, the wreck the economy. Wreck the economy. Yeah, yeah, and still walk away with bonuses and sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And it's this is all, you know, it does, it, it is a very... Um, the units of analysis are language as you say you know this this thing of terrifying people in the linguistic domain in the symbolic order
0: yeah that's really interesting because business you know it's there's a there's a sort of satirical idea of business as as having a, a nonsensical lingo right and you know all of the like buzzwords and <laughs> yeah. you know just like yeah just, um abbreviations yeah and things like that and it would actually make sense that uh an industry that's famed for its nonsensical lingo would be an industry that's full of psychopaths. Exactly. Any industry that's full of psychopaths exactly. will have a lot of nonsense in. And in. A it's a Fugazi. Remember
1: in um, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Fugazi. Yeah. Do you remember the scene where Leonardo DiCaprio and Matthew McConaughey are having like their induction meeting? He's just entered this Wall Street company. Yes. And Matthew McConaughey is trying to explain to him like how the, how Wall Street works, and he's like. Actually, it's all a fagazi. It's like, there's nothing there. You know, we create numbers, numbers disappear. There's rules that are just broken on a, at a whim. It's just a joke. And we walk away, you know, we were laughing all the way to the bank. I mean, it is. Yeah, it, that is. It's blind robbery. Yeah. yeah, it's a psychopathic. It's criminal behavior. Yeah.
0: Um, Sorry, I interrupted no, your I just, train of thought. I You didn't at all. It's just you started a new one because I suddenly... Mm. Thought about Ian MacKay and that band Fagazi. yes, and how I never knew what meant. <laughs> and I still don't. But anyway, <laughs> um, yes, I have lost my train of
1: thought because um, we were talking. Yeah. Of, yeah, we were talking about like uh, language, mm-hmm. right? Yes,
0: uh, and the fact that, it, that what is so interesting about a Clockwork Orange is yeah. that there is a, a literal language, right, in there. Not so that it's one of the most important. I think I would say it's one of the most important features of psychology is the way that language is used. And it's used, in I mean, it's it's used in a, in a way that sounds like it has depth, but has none. Yeah, uh, it's used very fast. it's yeah. used very much, very often. To dis-
1: yeah, to sort of disorient. To disorient. Yeah. It's very
0: disorienting. Yeah. It's very overwhelming. Mm. And I think this film is has a really good use of that of that language and the fact that yeah. it's, and in a way that you know it's there, it's echoed in the way that the book is is overwhelming her and is. Is confusing her because by the end of the film she's set up for a very what is what seems like a lofty
1: revenge turns into a really petty one. Because it bears saying that their history was interesting mm. because when it's Edwards who, who's, who's played by um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. So the two things that it's, that are occurring to me first of all when they were a married couple the Amy Adams's character and Jake Gyllenhaal's character, so they he was an inspiring writer. She read his book or his attempted book, mm-hmm. and she kind of flatly like dismissed yes. it, right?
0: So some uh, some creative projection, right? There. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then when they did get together, um, am I right in thinking she got pregnant, and she was also having an affair with somebody?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, she unilaterally decided to abort the baby. Yes. So, in the novel which Edward is now writing and dedicating to her after they've been divorced.
0: And he's called Edward in the novel as well, I think.
1: He's called Tony. Oh, he's
0: called Tony. Oh, he's okay. called Tony.
1: But the thing is, Jake Gyllenhaal plays that character. Yes. So that's the linking between mm-hmm. them. So Edward, And his
0: wife and daughter are two redheads.
1: They're two redheads. Like, and also Isla Fisher. Isla
0: Fisher is his wife.
1: Isla Fisher is his wife. She's, she's the one who gets brutalized along with the daughter in the car, etc., etc., but often, Isla Fisher, in real life, is mistaken for Amy Adams, and Tom Ford said that he deliberately cast in that way mm. because he wanted that ambiguity, because those two actresses often get confused for each other. Like, in real life, fans come up to one or the other and say, oh, I liked you in this and this, oh, and, and they say, oh, no, that was Amy Adams, or this was, you know, that was Isla Fisher. So he wanted to, that's brilliant, you know, that casting. That's
0: brilliant. Although, I'm just thinking back to Victoria Cora Mitchell, you can... <laughs> That you know you can you can see how that feeds into her theory a little bit the the interchangeability of women.
1: But then, um, but then that's what you would expect from a psychopath, right? Like you would expect them to operate on a moral system that is inhumane. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it actually um, validates that mental state. It's not it's not depicting it in a favorable light and kind of glamorizing it and elevating it it's saying this is sick
0: yeah it is sick and it's and you know you do you feel incredibly sorry for for edward yeah throughout the film yeah because and because you know he's he's the sensitive man who's had his who's you know who's who
1: has been rejected in been a been terrible way in, in all, emotionally all the creatively ways yeah. yeah
0: and um you know she he's obviously sees her i mean he sees her as I suppose, the murderer of his child. That's what it is, isn't it? And, you know, so he writes a book in which his child is murdered, or, you know, a man's child is murdered. Yeah, he
1: resents the fact that she unilaterally, without seemingly any remorse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, broke his heart, destroyed his, dream, his artistic dreams, and also, yeah, killed mm-hmm. their kid. You know, I mean, their unborn child. So emotionally, I think the book that he's written is an attempt to communicate these unconscious conflicts that he's just been harboring. So, in a way, I can see why that is. That is a total revenge story. It is because, a
0: huge revenge story. It's, yeah, you know, and it's. I mean, it, yeah, it seems like the dream of revenge, the kind of revenge yeah. you're supposed to get. Yeah, but in the end, right at the end of the film, she organizes to meet up with him, and he le- stra leaves her, stands her up. Yeah, and she's very, very devastated by yeah. it because she, you know, it's that sort of very classic Onegin, uh story. You know, she is where she was on top; she is now miserable and That's unloved right. and he is, you know, famous and and successful and, and in successful in an authentic way, creatively. Authentic. Yeah, exactly. He Not was, just the showroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, um, and it goes from a lofty revenge into a petty one. And I suppose that what is interesting about these two films is the way that that psychopaths can make us behave. Yeah. And the way that we take on some of their qualities when we're trying to fight them. It's a bit
1: contagious.
0: It's very contagious. Yeah. You know, like, the rules change for you. And you act, you, you do things that are completely, you know, irresponsible and incomprehensible and... So you know, societally wrong. Yeah. And because the your framework for how you understand, you know, for the kind of language that you've been used to, and the kind of behaviour that you've been used to, and the kind of mm-hmm. lifestyle that you've been used to is different, mm. you become you you take on some of those qualities, and That's those right. are qualities that society leads you to think are attractive anyway. Yeah. You know, independence and charm and impulsivity. Yeah. And yeah. You know, we're, encouraged those, we're encouraged to exhibit those exactly, traits. That you know, yeah. You know ruthlessness. Yeah. In business,
1: all of those oh, kinds yeah. of things. <laughs> um, but I sharp also elbows think, and sharp knees.
0: Yes, exactly. But I also think that the—I don't think this is intentional. But
1: hmm.
0: as we've sort of been talking about the the psychopath, hmm. and um, it's something I thought throughout while watching the film this time was, I feel like America has a very specific relationship with the psychopath. I agree. America, particularly. Has a particular fear mm. of the psychopath more than any other culture, mm. and I feel that like it pops up in all of their media. Mm-hmm. It pops up in in horror movies. I mean, it, and it's because you know you've had a lot of, as you know, as a as a country they've had a lot of kind of of these traumatic psychopath-led events. You know, the assassination of, of very famous yeah. people and the you know sort of very public terrifying violence. Yeah. and this is the and because of that they have a they have a culture of violence in response to that culture of violence and it affected me to the extent that yeah. i was watching this film and thinking this is why people want guns mm. you know it's the first time i've ever thought that but in that scene we you know that they don't have phone signal they are being terrorized yeah. in this you know rural place where they have there's no one's going to help the police car drives by and doesn't stop that's right and i i, I suddenly understood every person for themselves exactly and the, you know this is a you know this is a, a a fear-mongering film it's, it's a terrible terrible person that most of us are unlikely to ever encounter yeah. in our lifetime but i you know in america the prospect of encountering that person is so great yeah. but it's led to to chaos and violence and mm-hmm. just anarchy when it comes to mm. to guns and and just the violence of that's society. right
1: it's in their constitution it's in their
0: constitution and it's generally a, a fear of it's a fear of a of an Ununderstandable, alien, terrifying presence. Yeah,
1: it's it's automatically assuming that someone you don't know could invade your personal space and kill you. Yeah. And when every single person is viewed with suspicion, um, we were talking, you know, you just mentioned about the contagion, the contagious element of psychopathy where we take on the properties Mm. of the psychopath self-defense almost or yeah. as a way a survival mechanism well, that's exactly what's going surviving. on yeah exactly you see them they get triumph, off free yeah, every
0: single time and yeah. you know they do triumph and they do they get they everything they want sleep at they night want, yeah and they're fine <laughs> yeah. and you, you, do, you don't you know you're suffering yeah. tremendously or you're worried or yeah. you're anxious and so, of course, you know, you would try and take on. Yeah. It's a really any means natural necessary. Phase to go through yeah. To try and take on some of those qualities.
1: Absolutely. But it won't work
0: for you. No, it won't you, work. You know, deep down, you do worry.
1: Yeah, exactly. And actually, Bear is also mentioning, since you're talking about Americana, that Tom Ford is from Texas. Mm-hmm. And as a gay man, I mean, the the Edward story of the brutality of the violence, et cetera, et cetera, the, the, the novel Nocturnal Animals that he gives his ex-wife is set in Texas. Oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: And, you know, growing up, um, Tom Ford, as a gay man, living in a very conservative state, in a very Republican state, Um I can only imagine what it must have been like for him uh, given that he wanted to be you know work in, in, in the fashion world since a very young age. He knew himself mm-hmm. and he accepted himself from a very young age and he, he absolutely craved to go to New York and just escape all of that. So maybe there is something here uh, that, because obviously the, the book is um, sorry the, the film is, is based on a 1993 novel by um, sorry by Austin Wright. Called Tony and Susan. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe what attracted Tom Ford to this story is a kind of recognition of what those places are like, you know, and where it's a very specific space where extreme brutality can take place, and you can convincingly portray it. Uh, And it must have meant something to him. I can only I can only guess about that. Um,
0: yeah, it must have, and there is like a little subplot of her brother. That's right. Who is who is gay and not yeah. accepted, and what attracts her to Edward is that she says, "I think he was in love with you when you were teenagers." Yeah. And he says, "Oh, you know, I, I should call him." Yeah, and you know, and she's really, she's really attracted to the fact that he's that he is so loving. Yeah, despite the fact that you know that he's not gay, and also Jake Gyllenhaal, famous for playing. A yeah. gay man in a Broke rural back state. Yeah, Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it all, exactly. all, yeah, Tom all very good with up. casting. Oh, he's a genius. Really good. I cannot wait to see what he comes out with next, yeah. because I feel like this is an interesting progression from A Single Man being mm-hmm. his first film, where he's exploring the mental state of a depressive, uh, a, su- a man who's caught up in suicidal ideation. And, you know, so I feel like he is one of, he's just going to be one of those directors who always engages with the emotional life. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting for us.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking of other ways that Aaron, Aaron Taylor-Johnson mm. personifies the psychopath. Yeah. yeah. And I think the scene that really, the, the scene that I first noticed, yeah. was the first time I saw it. Yeah was the scene where they are in they go to the cabin mm-hmm. where the trailer where the rapes and murders yeah. take place. Yeah. And it's so that Jake it's there's some very suspect police work in this film. I know. <laughs> even before, you know, it's sort of revealed that the policeman has uh lung cancer and he's gonna die and yeah. he wants to he wants to help this guy exact mm. revenge whether above you know, in a lawful way or not. Mm-hmm. But even before that, you don't take the husband of the victims around to meet, you know, the murderers. It's, 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 it really annoyed me. actually. I know. It's the, one of the only parts of the film that really annoyed me. Um, but there's, um.
1: Not very considerate.
0: Not considerate. <laughs> I mean, really weird. And this, you know, oh, poor Jake Hall's physically, you know, mm. just ill from the grief and the trauma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, but yeah, they're in this trailer together and, you know, Jake Hall's tra- attempting. And I, it's, I suppose I, you know, just in terms of your, the experience you have when you're trying to get something out of a psychopath. And he's trying to get something out of him, and of course, the psychopath won't give you anything no. that you want unless it's in it, it's you know unless it's going to benefit them in some way. And he says, you know, I want you to tell me what ha- you know, you to tell me what happened mm. to my wife and daughter and what they said and what their last moments were like. Yeah, I need to know. And um, he never gets an answer, of course. No. But before he doesn't get an answer, Aaron Taylor Johnson does a variety of facial expressions. Oh yeah, it's so good, and it's it looks it seems like he's thinking or feeling or emoting. He's doing a few different ones, you know, and it seems like he does one that looks like he is touched in some way, and he does one that, you know, looks like he's he's making a decision. He does mm-hmm. all these, I mean, they're very, like... It's like he's trying out they're, different... They're like actuary poses, yeah. and um, <laughs> I went with my dad to see it, and the first thing I said was, I really like that moment where um, Aaron Taylor-Johnson trying things out to see what effect they'll have, and he went, I'm so glad that you... <laughs> can recognize that and now I don't have to worry about you so much <laughs> because it looks like a yeah. very emotional scene it looks like he's feeling something and it's 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 genius yeah he, he manages to portray feeling something but in this very very shallow way we
1: can see his process yeah
0: he's he's having a he's doing a method he's being method
1: <laughs> amazing and
0: that's you know and he and you know and then he laughs and lets it all go because he you know nothing's worked and He'll try something else now. Yeah, and you know he has this brilliant—you know—he doesn't admit until right the fight at the end of the film that he's actually even did anything. Exactly. You know? I'm really sorry about what happened to your wife and children. I've got absolutely nothing to do with it. And the thing about psychopaths is that they do—they have this such a grandiose sense of self-worth that they mm. feel that they should be believed.
1: Oh yeah. If they say they, they didn't feel do entitled, then how dare you? Yeah.
0: How dare you keep asking me about exactly. it? I've or I've given you. I've, yeah. I've told you what I want you to think
1: exactly and that's that's the end of it yeah it's It's such a great moment because it does really showcase um that the the way that psychopaths actually probably view emotion as almost like an accessory yeah you know a prop Mm -hmm. that will you know just kind of facilitate how they will continue to dominate that interaction and there's it's no other there's no other mechanism that is perceived as. It's just a prop. No, yeah,
0: exactly. You know? It's just, yeah, it's, um, and some of them practice it. I like yeah. read in, in this book, it's talking about um, uh, a, a man who tried to have his ex wife kill because he didn't know oh, was yeah. happy with their divorce settlement. And uh, his uh, uh, ex wife said that he used to read sort of psych, psychology self help books, mm-hmm. but to practice, to oh, practice yeah. different, to practice, you know, to so read the descriptions of the problems and wow. practice them.
1: Almost like, Almost like a rehearsal. like
0: a rehearsal. Like, you know, like, it's a real project. Wow. You know, the, the more in the more focused they are on getting something, the more work they'll put into it. And if they would just put work into being nice, oh then they would succeed at that as well.
1: Exactly. And it would just be genuine. Mm. But there is that lack of authenticity. Yeah.
0: I mean, it would never be authentic, but there is a, there is a thought that you, you know, that I know that's definitely something that comes up much more in the second film we're going to mm. discuss, but that we want, we want niceness, whether it's authentic or not, and maybe. And how much are we willing to accept niceness? And I know that I was definitely willing to accept niceness that I didn't, that I knew wasn't authentic. Sure. Because it, you know, because that's what we are, we all should have. Yeah. It, it seems silly. It's just common didn't... decency. It's the yeah. it's the
1: basic level of humanity, isn't it? it that, is. you that you would want that.
0: Of course, everyone wants that, and we all want that, and we don't care
1: we how don't we get it. We don't care
0: how we get it, and we don't care whether it's true or not Mm. until we've, until we've been so badly hurt by things that aren't true that we're a lot more suspicious.
1: That's right.
0: And I think, and that's, that's very, that's in that scene, you know, he, he should, he should know better that he's not going to get, you know, this, uh, the point of the, you know, in this book, he is supposed to be going after Aaron Taylor Johnson. Mm. And what the audience is, is led to think is that just killing him immediately is the thing to do because he won't ever be sorry. Right. But he's just like the rest of us, and he wants niceness. Yeah. He wants something. He wants some. He wants something from this guy, and he That's misses right. his opportunity again and again to just to get you know to have one less psychopath out there.
1: Do you think that maybe um, the character of Edward, as the author of this book, was using the means of the novel to communicate and try and tap into those emotions that he he probably perceives his ex as a psychopath. Yes. So he is he is that just the, that attempt to try and like somehow push her buttons in some way to get something back from her? I suppose so. And um I mean, and he does.
0: He gets. And a he lot does. From her. He does get a lot from um, her. But which leads this strange switch. Yeah. Where he's getting a lot from her, and he's yeah. not feeling anything. Exactly. And so every, you know, everyone has a little turn. Yeah. of Being a psychopath. Yeah, that's so true. And that is, you know, that is true in life. There are lots of reasons why people might exhibit certain psychopathic behaviours. Yeah. and if you're not accessing
1: um, the means of survival. Exactly. Yeah. And
0: or if you need to detach, you really need to detach from someone. You really mm-hmm. need to get away, which she clearly felt she did in yeah. her marriage. You have to be a bit of a psychopath, mm. you know, and that's a really silly, fluffy thing to say, a bit of a psychopath doesn't exist. I but know what you mean. You have to, there are, you know, there are times when you need to display those tendencies mm. a little bit, and I can see how you, you, I can see how a lot of people would meet someone, feel that they are a psychopath, but then not take into consideration yeah. the circumstances that are causing
1: them to be that way. Yeah. There's, there's huge environmental factors that can play a part mm-hmm. in how someone might respond that way. Um, and in a way, it is, it is worth mentioning that because if we don't and if we just pretend that psychopaths are a group of people over there in that corner yeah. that we have absolutely nothing in common with and they're this, this kind of like monster in the closet, it's just it's just segregating that mental state, and then pretending that we're so pure. Yeah,
0: no, we're and not. That's, the, the we're not. It doesn't work that, that the way. So easily is that we're not.
1: No, exactly, and we probably can recognize. We can recognize, and we
0: can envy se- those traits. Exactly, and can, you know, we
1: can. The difference we between can use us and those people, we can, as
0: well, for our own, you know, neuroses and our own fetishes and our own.
1: It's certainly games. possible. Yeah, you know, and and people do it all the time, very routinely, mm-hmm. um, with the difference being that they don't go, you know. The, the, the whole nine yards they don't they do kind of crime but um but yeah I think that the difference is that we then might step back and self-reflect and empathize and self-crit you know be self-critical whereas they do not do that mm-hmm. they just continue on their merry way of um you know committing brutal acts on various you know parts of the scale and uh, and they never stop to question themselves no. it's it's just you know, they actually don't see a point in that. Um, that actually, you know, in a way, that is a good segue to talk about Let's
0: go. Let's go Clockwork orange, orange. Because I have to say, yeah. when you chose this film, Yeah? um, I have never seen this film. Right. I watched it for this.
1: Wow. And I think <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you think of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean,
0: I've had a joke. I mean, like, I think like a lot of people, like a lot of people, I've been preconditioned to dislike this film. Yeah. You know, and you are from Childhood, yeah, because you know other people like people with whose parents have talked to them about it, yeah, and especially know, people, in this country because it was banned. Yeah, it was banned. It has a very you know interesting history of yeah. Uh, I mean, it's copycat murders and oh, exactly. Like you know, it's it's got a there's a there's a primal scene element. To this oh yeah, film. <laughs> you know, like there are there are certain films, particularly seventies films, that your parents will talk about as very very traumatic experiences, and you know, and like The Exorcist. like Clockwork Orange, like Jaws, like, you know, all of these films that, you know, and they, and they, they embed themselves into your childhood as these things, these terrible things that have done these, you know, that have, that have scared your parents (laughs) who are not, who are supposed to be unscaring, who are telling you that not to be scared of things because it's only a film. And these films upset them. So it's one of those films. Okay. Um, and I, I don't know why I resisted watching it for so long. That was my initial reason to resist watching it. And, I just, as time has gone on, especially because you know, there's a lot of mm. there's a lot of fetishization of this film out there. Oh yeah. And sometimes you can avoid something because of the fans. <laughs> and I feel like the fans of this film are people I just don't want to hang out with.
1: Present <laughs> company excluded. Of okay, course, but... I know you're a fan of it. I'm but you know, such like, a major fan. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, and then uh, but that always happens. I feel like I didn't like Smith's fans until I became <laughs> one of them, and now I am just a, one of, another one of those annoying Smith's fans. So, and I I think I had a suspicion mm. that because i knew all about the plot i knew you know i knew what it was about mm. i felt that i had a suspicion that it was a bit of a simplistic mm. um well a satire as always simplistic yeah. and i felt that it would be too simplistic but actually mm. i was very pleasantly surprised i didn't i thought it was a really i think i had it in my in my mind that it would be a a very experimental film but it's actually a mm. very classic uh, structure yeah. of a, a character with a flaw yeah. like a huge flaw which eventually leads him to lose everything and then eventually he goes on he, a journey he goes on a journey yeah. and, and regains and regains something you know however much of an anti-hero he is it's a very very classic story oh yeah very classic it's a Hollywood story it's a Hollywood story and uh, because of that classic <laughs> Hollywood structure what you are you are led to to, to have real affection for this character yeah. And uh, I felt very angry about it. I was <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're 30. Like, why stop feeling, <laughs> stop like looking for the touching moments. But I did. I looked for, you know, I, I searched for yeah. From the minute it started, I searched from things about him, about Alex, the lead character, mm-hmm. to find touching. Do we need to do a, a recap of Cocoa Orange for people that haven't seen it? Or has well, anyone, is it only me? Am I the last person? No, I don't.
1: Honestly, I think a lot of people will relate to what you're saying mm-hmm. here in the sense of like, there almost the reputation of the film preceding it. It hugely does. And, I mean, it bears just mentioning. Mm -hmm. It is based on Anthony Burgess's novel of the same name. Um, And Kubrick is known for the way that he worked in in the sense of sourcing out uh, novels and working from that, adapting them, often having a very different perspective and and developing a a radically different vision Mm -hmm. cinematically to the original work. Which sometimes left some, some of the you know authors uh, very incensed. Stephen King. Stephen King. <laughs> um, now in this case, okay, so the central character you mentioned, Alex, Alex DeLarge. DeLarge. So he's a, a charismatic antisocial delinquent whose interests include classical music. He loves Beethoven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he also seems to indulge in committing crime, including rape. Um, all of this he terms ultra ultraviolence. Um, he leads a small gang of thugs, whom he calls his droogs, um, and they speak in a very kind of uh, unique language, this kind of slang language that's developed out of uh, Slavic, English, and the Cockney rhyming slang. Um, and basically, the film just chronicles his, you know, him and his friends' uh, spree of crime, mm-hmm. um, and then he gets captured, and then there's an attempted rehabilitation via an experimental psychological conditioning technique um, called the Ludovico technique. Um, so basically, what that entails is that um, he is put in a Cinema, and injected with drugs that are intended to make him sick, and he's forced to watch ultra-violent content on the cinema screen, and a contraption um, keeps his eyelids open so he can't shut his eyes. He's constantly looking at this, and what he's watching this, the drugs are making him feel sick. And at the same time, his favorite music by Beethoven is being played, Mm -hmm. so that there's this classical conditioning that he starts to associate the feeling of sickness, physical like illness, with his favorite things, violence and Beethoven, so that when he then is taken out of that experimental setting, uh, if he's confronted with the urge and the impulse of violence, he then is overcome with this new sensation of sickness and that prevents him from being violent. Now, it's interesting that you 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 correctly pointed out that the film is structured in a very classical kind of mm-hmm. way. The narrative is very Hollywood. It is. And I think that in a way... Um, kubrick being the way that he was i mean he's such a provocateur and i will start this off by saying that i'm you'll probably be very hard pressed to meet a more passionate fan of Stanley kubrick than me like i will literally apologize anything related to him like i just i think i just adore him and um i think
0: I, we were saying before this started that that is what we <laughs> were so well cuz you're the ultimate fangirl and i'm the ultimate fangirl <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really am. I'm. I'm one of those like um, obsessive freaks who just falls in love yeah. with a figure, puts them on a pedestal, and refuses to see any any wrong in them. I know that's probably something I need to work through, but <laughs> <laughs> but it just gives me so much pleasure. If we didn't have any, if, <laughs> if we didn't have any uh, neurosis, we wouldn't be interesting exactly. podcasters. So exactly. It's exactly. Be fine. Now the thing is, so. What I love about a lot of what t- takes place is that there's one scene right at the beginning of the film where Alex and his friends um, invade a couple's home and they brutally beat, beat them up and torture them sexually. It's, it's, it's pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. But while this is going on, um, Alex starts to sing the song from the musical Singing in the Rain. I'm so glad you're going to touch on this because I didn't, I felt that there was
0: something there, but I didn't know why. And I'm so glad you're about to explain what there is there.
1: For me, this is Stanley Kubrick in 1971, right on the kind of cusp of New Hollywood, where, you know, audiences and filmmakers are finally recovering from their hangover of the Hollywood Golden Age. Mm-hmm. This is Danny Kubrick being an anarchist, a filmmaker who is throwing bricks and Molotov cocktails into the old model and taking this very iconic song mm-hmm. from a you know pretty kind of like uh, sweet film. And brutalizing, Mm -hmm. brutalizing all the associations with that, you know, kind of uh, smashing that old icon and destroying it and kind of like perverting it Mm -hmm. so that now there's a new association. That song now is not purely what that sweet representation of the old format is. It's now taken on these scary connotations. And it's a, it's a very radical move. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine, when this film was first released, um, people were very upset by it. I mean, there were there were people who were campaigning for it to be you know, taken out of cinemas. Um, There were a lot of copycat crimes being committed. Uh, People would dress in similar fashion to Alex and his droogs, you know, that kind of all-white jumpsuit, which, by the way, uh, Stanley Kubrick was inspired by uh, Malcolm McDowell's uh, idea for for the costume, where he turned up for rehearsal wearing his cricket whites. Oh,
0: interesting. would, Would he have got that film off the back of If?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah so, I mean, around. he didn't... He so not quite the the idea for the film, but when he was casting, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The... When he was casting for Alex, he watched Lindsay Anderson's If, and when he saw Mac- Malcolm McDowell, he thought, "That's my Alex." Mm-hmm. He didn't even want to see anybody else. He didn't audition anybody else. He was absolutely single-minded. This is the guy I want. And in a way, it makes sense. I feel like those those films are kind of companion pieces in a way, I like, wish, like yeah, yeah. it's a great double bill.
0: Mm-hmm. It <laughs> is a of double bill. I mean, it's a bit of like, so we have to watch the next like, episode of Friends. After the episode. <laughs> like that but it's uh and that's actually something we're sorry listeners but today is a really tough double bill yeah i watched them both together when i was doing it when i was preparing for this podcast and it is and i I was a little bit sad afterwards um but it's interesting that um that you know the idea of demolishing singing in the rain because either he's being uncharitable or he knows that that's really a film to respect because singing in the rain is an interesting sort of microcosm of hollywood you know a meta film
1: about hollywood you I know, think it is a form of respect. It is. I
0: think it, it definitely is. There's, I think uh... it is.
1: It's acknowledging the power mm-hmm. that film had and what really what it was representing, you know, in terms of, of Hollywood filmmaking. Um, but also, uh, I think for Kubrick, because he had such a dark vision, um, he probably, in a way, it's a very psychopathic move. Oh, yeah. Because it it it's taking this really sweet thing that only has one you know, definition mm-hmm. and, and and stands in people's minds and collective consciousness at, to, to, to mean one thing and desecrating it.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it is psychopathic. It's nasty. It's a nasty yeah, it's really do.
1: nasty. It's really yeah. nasty. And I think that is... And the lack of remorse, you know, shown in that scene. I mean, there's no mercy. There's no mercy. It is.
0: It's the, a horrible scene. He's
1: having... He's taking the piss. He's, um. you know, br- beating up this older couple... I think um, kind of like destroying the, – the, um, there, there's a scene where he kind of like knocks down all their books. Yeah, he
0: does. You know, yeah. it's, it's so the, kind of – the the man's a writer. The man's a writer. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah, taking it, everything it, they love and
1: – Their language. Yeah, their language. It goes back to what you were saying before yeah. about the they connection. they speak
0: the same language, do they? Because a lot of people in the film speak the same language as Alex, but
1: – That's They right. speak
0: normal, just normal English. They do. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole film is merciless, oh um, yeah, to everyone in it, and everyone's like really ugly, everyone's wearing really bright colors that makes them look really wide and strangely shaped, yeah and, you know that and that's something that I found that I found really difficult about the film that it was yeah. this, this really this ill-treatment of the victims by the director.
1: Oh, by the director. Absolutely.
0: Especially the second, I mean, all of them, but that second female victim. Oh, yes. And I think she's referred to as the cat lady or something, which isn't (laughs) fair at all. She's got like two cats and she's got... And there is this, you know. I think it's seven. You know, it's something that when I saw the inside of her house, I thought, oh my God, all like the cool girls on Instagram have houses like that but covered in covered in erotic art, and you know, with like dildos in plain sight and cats uh-huh. and that kind of thing. And she's there isn't there's 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 definitely a suggestion by the film yeah. that she's somehow this that she's that she's deserving of what happens. Oh to yeah, her. and you know that's all the way through the film. you know, and it's a little bit. And that is the thing that I that I get annoyed with about this film. I get annoyed mm. when the film is relentlessly negative about every single mm. every single aspect of society and every single character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's. And I don't know if that's to do with the book or to do with the film.
1: Well, I think that it is to do with the with the film mm-hmm. because when we think of uh, Stanley Kubrick's choice for um, the wide angle lens that he insisted on using almost in every frame. Mm-hmm. And this is what distorted what we are seeing on screen. And it's kind of like, it just becomes this very unrelatable space um, where things are out of proportion and there's a huge distance between him and the characters. Mm -hmm. And that's done on purpose to kind of accentuate the emotional distance of a psychopath to his victims. And in a way, what he's trying to push forward, I think in a a sort of classic Kubrickian irony um, that he often will exhibit in, in different ways as he goes through different genres of film but in this case this is a dystopian film um and he he set out to capture the behaviors of a psychopath um, and really kind of like depict uh, almost in a very... Like fly on the wall way, like almost in a documentary style, where mm. where we're not really encouraged to even sit in judgment of him. We're just observing him. Yeah, you know.
0: I suppose that is why I find it so uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that does make sense, and that is a, a testament to the incredible filmmaking.
1: Yeah, but, um, but also
0: I but, found it so I found
1: it so unpleasant to be in the mind of a psychopath. Yeah, exactly. And the the fact is that when there were copycat killings, where people, you know, the, the, the images yeah. became so iconic, did. and people were so sort of enraptured and captivated by this by this kind of radical terrorizing imagery um least of all um uh, David Bowie by the way he, yeah. he watched the film in Soho and then uh, became absolutely obsessed with the the jumpsuits and he then proceeded to create all of Ziggy Stardust's outfits uh, based on Alex's jumpsuit yeah yeah i mean he went with obviously color and it's a bit more glam obviously but he liked the androgyny Mm -hmm. you know the fake eyelashes and everything the performance aspect he said that he was trying to do the same thing he was trying to be capture the same effect as alex and his friends but on stage using glam rock Mm -hmm. to attack gender stereotypes so kind of putting a boot in the face of normative stereotypes about gender which is interesting. That's
0: really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: what I really wanted to say about the copycat issue is that so we take Stanley Kubrick who is an auteur or I should say was hallowed be thy name. <laughs> <laughs> um so <laughs> I <ceiling. laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, he, so he was an obsessive. He oversaw every aspect of his films from, you know, editing to production to, um, you know, cinematography, costume. Like, they couldn't even use a brand of shampoo he didn't like. Like, that's how obsessive he was. So the, the amount of work that went through a Stanley Kubrick film... It was a a very painstaking process. So after a process like that, he has the film in the cinemas, there's copycat killings, the press are going crazy, he's receiving death threats at his house in Hertfordshire. It got so bad for him, and he was being accused of being directly responsible for these killings in real life, that he contacted Warner Brothers and requested that the film be pulled out. He was actually instrumental mm-hmm. in the banning of the film in this country because there was so much pressure. That's that's how much pressure he was under because there would have been nothing else that could have convinced him to do that. Mm-hmm. He was so single-minded yeah. about putting his work out there. So that's, that's how seriously he took it. Do you think
0: that he ever felt responsible?
1: I don't think... No, he no. never did because he always maintained, even though he pulled the film, he always maintained that... Um, Films don't make people commit crimes. Of course not,
0: but I mean, like we're all, we're all we've all had the experience of feeling guilty for something that we didn't actually do. Yeah, that's I true. I would do if he did, you know.
1: In in my reading about uh, Kubrick and having read many of his biographies and listened to his interviews and stuff, I think he was very, um, very convinced mm-hmm. that he or at least that he portrayed that his conscience was, his conscience was clean and he didn't feel responsible and in a way what, what I read in the film, and I would love to get your, your uh, perspective on this is that in a way it's that classic Kubrickian irony where we have a a criminal, a rapist, a murderer, you know, who is um, inherently a psychopath. There's no question about it. Um, But he then gets put in this kind of like behavioral conditioning process where the government is employing these psychologists to attempt to change his thinking. Mm -hmm. So actually manipulate how he thinks so that they can make him be not bad, you know. Um, And for a time it works. He has these like reflexes and he gets sick and he can't. He doesn't have the same impulse to mm. commit crime the way he used to. And he to. does
0: appear to be very humanized in other ways. That's true. And that's really interesting. That's something that that's very interesting. Because
1: I found those scenes particularly interesting. Yeah, they are. Mm. But in a way, what Kubrick is presenting in the film is that the real psychopaths are these psychologists who have altered his true nature. Mm-hmm. Because the, 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 the film's title um, is something to do with... Um, it's it's a reference to an orange which is organic on the outside but mechanical on the inside mm-hmm. so it's a fake orange yeah. that's what alex has become he he presents as something on the on the surface you know, like he still has the same physical attributes but they've they, the psychologists have gone and like messed around with his psychological makeup and now he's mechanically good. Mm-hmm. So he's a fake. Yes. And what Kubrick is kind of saying is that yes, Alex was a murderer and a rapist and he was a horrible human being, but at least he was real. At least he was authentic and true to himself. Now he's just a fake guy and he has no free will. He's just a robot. And you know, yeah. that's he, for him. The real psychopaths are the ones that are going into our head and propagandizing and and changing our true nature. Uh, he's obviously taken a very extreme, he's case. taken a very
0: extreme case. I don't believe is you know.
1: Okay, so I have, I do have things to say. Yes, please do. Please do. Please do.
0: You know, obviously, because you know, <laughs> it is very extreme. It's very unrealistic. There is like you know, because they don't do directly say we're doing it to reduce uh, the prison population and yeah. save money you know and of course that is psychopathic but it's also unrealistic no one like no there's no you know maybe there are a few politicians out there that are like that I and mean, we definitely know there are a few politicians out there that are like that mm-hmm. but in general i don't feel that the desire to the desire yeah. to accept fakes is psychopathic mm. i don't at all because mm. i think the desire to accept fakes is what is so innate about all of our humanity yeah And I, you know, and that's, and that is the thing because I, you know, and I, I, that is the part of the film that I take personally. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I would, I think I would accept a fake and I have accepted a fake. Yeah. Because you, you know, I think Zizek says something about it. He says, he says it about cinema. He actually said Mm. it in the Perverts Guide Mm. to Cinema. He says, I know it's a fake. Nonetheless, I allow myself to be emotionally affected. That's right. And that's, that's true of cinema. It's true of life. It's true of, you know, it's true of all of us. It's true. I think that is what makes you. So what makes you human and it's what, what makes you mm. it I don't really know, but I don't feel that it's a psychopathic tendency. Mm. I feel that it's it's a vulnerability. But but
1: is it but where is where is the psycho, psychopathy taking place? It's not that the level of of accepting the fake, mm-hmm. because at the level of accepting the fake, you're 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 still giving the person the benefit of the doubt. That's still showing a humanity. Mm. I think what Kubrick is saying is that the psychopath the, the Copathy of the state is that they're they're entering into our minds. That That's true. Us. I mean,
0: they're doing a like, and it's not just what they're doing to Alex. Is mm. it? It's what they're doing to society, yeah. which is flooding it with um, with people that are that could break and yeah. hurt us all. Right. Basically, you know, because they do it in like two weeks, yeah. don't they? And then they just send them straight out there, <laughs> and you know, and that is you know, so in that it's irresponsible and it's a terrible thing. Mm. And yeah, they are. I, d- I think they're definitely portrayed as psychopaths, but I don't mm. see, I don't see that vision or that version mm. of psychopathy as being a particularly r- accurate representation yeah. of sure. psychopathy. Sure, One that you see. Whereas I do see Alex's psychopathy yeah. as being very, very. He's criminally true. insane. He's criminally insane. He's a, he's you know he's very he's very charming. He's very attractive. Yeah. And you know that the attractive psychopath is is with us all the Text time book. in culture. You yeah. Know, the Ted Bundy's of the world. Yeah and um, Jeffrey Dahmer the Jeffrey yeah. was he was he attractive I thought he was
1: sort of conventionally attractive think, like yeah. he didn't really groom too much but in some of the photos when he was in court I can see like in conventional, that like you know and
0: like, like cruising around in the you know with like with the vest on yeah totally
1: yeah um, eye-catching yeah
0: I think um I yeah I see I I get it I get yeah. I get that 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 I get that reading of the film, and I see mm. that that's what Kubrick meant. Mm. But it doesn't ring true to me mm-hmm. as a, as it, it totally makes sense as a reading of the film. But the idea of it just doesn't. Sure. It seems it seems cartoonish mm-hmm. to me, and I feel that even though Alex's behaviour is also cartoonish, I see a lot of truth in it. Yeah. Because I've seen people behave like oh, that. Oh yeah. And I am um, especially the something I found really interesting yeah. about his cure. Yeah. Is that he's conditioned to feel nausea when it comes to when That's he right. sees when he sees violence or he's the victim of violence or he wants thinks about violence. And um, two things that I found really interesting about those scenes were I you know that how interesting I interested I am in vomiting. Oh yes. And nausea in when you study um, when you study bulimia, yeah. Um, there's like stomach problem in general, stomach n- nausea, vomiting, stomach issues, they're associated with shame. Right. And shame's such an interesting thing because we this, we think it's the same thing as guilt, but shame's actually a social a social condition. Yeah. And guilt is the is a personal, a personal condition. Yeah. So I found it really, really interesting oh, right. that he is being conditioned to feel nausea, mm-hmm. which is associated with shame, which is associated with what society uh, feels yes. that you should feel bad yeah. about. Yeah. So he's, you know, it's a really that it's like a really fake it's you know,
1: ah. shame's not shame's not something. It's that's not in an
0: authentic. You. It's something that's placed on okay. you by other people. that's a really
1: good point. And you know,
0: guilt's guilt's in you. Yeah, you know, guilt emerges. You carry from you. that with you, you. Yeah, you carry yeah. that with you. Shame's put inside you yeah. by other people. <laughs> so and true. That's what and it's put inside him. And wow. he feels you know he's ashamed, but he's not. He's not guilty. No, he's still he's not. not guilty oh no,
1: no, he's still a psychopath in the sense that he doesn't sit and think about what he did mm-hmm. and feel any sense of remorse. No and he doesn't empathize with his victims. He I'm sure he still thinks it's funny, but now he's being programmed and conditioned to exhibit shame in a performative way, yeah.
0: and shame is performative. Yeah, like shame is the performative. Exactly. Like, you know, there's a right. whole performance associated yeah. with shame of you know confessing and, and right. drinking, <laughs> drinking things and eating things and doing all these things that are all about shame. Yeah, and shame's nothing to do with with you no. at all. Shame's completely decided by it's other a people. Social it's a social phenomenon. Thing. Yeah, and then the it's other so thing true. I found it's so true. interesting about those scenes of being cured is. The bit where that you know he's and he is performing, he's performing being cured on stage, mm-hmm. and um, they bring out they bring out this woman in a purple oh, yeah. wig, this naked woman, to stand in front of him, and um, and as you know, as he reaches for her, he feels incredibly sick, and it's you know he's not going to be able to ever have sex again and never rape anyone yeah. again. and I enjoyed it so much, and it made me worry about my own psychopathic tendencies <laughs> because I suddenly because it's, she's the only woman in the film that is. Um, but is looked at favorably. You yeah, know, she's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. She's not as distorted as you know a lot of right. the other women who, who are all like wearing really unflattering mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and all have, are all quite unattractive. Mm-hmm. And so and you know so it's the first real like sympathetic representation of a woman, even though she's also really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really. I really, you know, and I identified with her immediately, and oh. I, I identified with this powerful woman with this with this nauseous man <laughs> at, her by, at her feet. I was really, like,
1: oh, I'm really, enjoying oh, I'm yeah. really
0: I, I this is wow. the, it's the bit of the movie where I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying myself now, and it's horrible because you know he's in, in yeah. horrible pain, but I and you know and and I'm not I'm not enjoying it, and I know that I'm not enjoying it because I'm remembering his past crimes. I'm enjoying it because she was a vision of my own sadism. Oh, wow. You know, it's nothing, it was nothing to do with me disliking him, you know, because no, I no, end, no. ended up liking him. Yeah, 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 so he's an hero. It, and yeah. so we all have it a little bit. so wow, And I that's definitely so felt it in myself. I felt sadistic, I felt, I felt so like it was funny.
1: Yeah. Because
0: it was someone that I, it was a, you know, It. she felt like the only person on screen that I could put myself into. Yeah. And you know she was the stand-in for me,
1: and she that's yeah so she was, like does a little bow and like yeah, yeah, you know she keeps, yeah. keeps going thank you. It's very am It's really it's yeah, great. It's and, really good.
0: And uh, yeah, so yeah, and they
1: applaud her, they you applaud know. They yeah. applaud
0: It's a lovely little show. <laughs>
1: um, and he's still there, like, and then I think somebody puts a boot on his face or like yeah, and he has to lick it. He has to like, lick repeatedly. it. That's right. And it's, um... It's so interesting that you should say that because. It's funny how people really do get very subjective perspective you know perceptions of the of the same film mm-hmm. and they're very different um, because even though objectively I'm aware that you know of course this character is a psychopath he's a brutal murderer and rapist he's assaulted people he thinks it's funny I mean he has no humanity at all mm-hmm. but I don't know whether it's because of how stylish Kubrick is and that opening scene. Mm-hmm. At the milk bar with Kubrick's camera so is just panning out. Yeah. Panning, out. Is it
0: panning? It's,
1: out? yeah. And this long take of Alex drinking milk, which is laced with acid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so great. Um, you know, like nurture poisoning his mind. You know, like this kind of thing. Anyway, um, it's just, for me, that all the visuals and, and how stylish... Alex is and you know there's a scene where he comes down the stairs and he sees his friends and he just says welly 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 well <laughs> and I've said that like I copied him like I, I heard that and I was like that's so cool and a couple of times I've said it and like it's rarely been put you know understood as the reference but one time it was and I felt so proud it made all the other embarrassing times before that seem worth it <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. It did, <laughs> in the end. But um, I guess because it's so stylish and I love the music, mm-hmm. Wendy Carlos, who also uh, made the music for The Shining. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's so, it's kind of, um, I feel a bit ashamed admitting it, but I I never... Fully absorb the character as a true psychopath, mm-hmm. like subjectively. I know rationally he is, and he definitely fits our, um, you know, programming for today 100%. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. But the subjective experience of seeing it, I f- it felt more like a music video to me.
0: Yeah, and, no, I, I understand that. Definitely. And I
1: actually identified with Alex.
0: I think that you. Do, I think that that. But that, that is, I
1: think, um, it sounds like. <laughs> I hope there's no cops listening. No, to I this <laughs> But I've never does... committed murder or rape, but the point is the point I'm getting at is that there's something because it's so balletic, mm-hmm. like you know, like the movements are so. Oh yeah,
0: that um that scene where they all, where they fight the rival gang, it's it reminded me of uh, like kung fu movies. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah. And also when they fall into the water, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And by the way, I have I have strange connections with this film because where I went to university in this country, Brunel University, a lot of the scenes were shot. on on that campus Uh Um, and I found that out when I enrolled so it was like post facto and I was like oh my god I was so obsessed and then for a while uh, when I was single I was living in Wandsworth um, at the kind of um, end of Battersea towards like Wandsworth Bridge Road, and there's a subway passage in that area where Kubrick filmed the scene where Alex and his friends beat up a homeless guy oh. in the subway. I used to walk through that all the time.
0: Oh, so you've really put and yourself in the film?
1: It seems so. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I found out that, that that was that location was from the film only after I moved there. And I recognized it. Like, I walked down there, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is where Alex and his friends beat up that guy. Mm-hmm. And rather than feeling, you know, maybe the normal emotions, which is, like, fear or, you know, a little bit of, like, dread, mm-hmm. I used to love spending time there. I would, like, go and hang out, bring my friends, you know? Bring your drugs, Bring my drugs. Ew. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's kind of weird. So, I'm in a way, I'm looking at the film in a very detached way because I'm not really
0: I think you're supposed to look at the film you're supposed to look at it yeah (laughs) and also it sounds like I think I think because I have had the experience of not just being terrorized but by being seduced and then terrorized yeah I do associate um feeling uh drawn to someone like him yeah. as just part of the experience of being with sure. a psychopath. So all of the, I had exactly the same feelings that you had. Mm. I thought mm. he was cool. Mm. I thought he was attractive. I felt for him when he, you know, was, cried. I, I you know, I was interested in him. I was most interested in him than I was in anyone else. Mm. I but I but that experience is very textbook for sure. me of being with a psychopath. Yeah. So yeah. it just all just really slotted into place. Sure. Even the music actually and his yeah. love for Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, something just clicked in my head because I have had for a long time, I have had a deep suspicion of people who are really into music mm. and I have, a, and I, <laughs> I have, um, I have a lot of friends who are really into music. Don't get me wrong. Like I, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't carry out this suspicion to the extent that yeah. I avoid them, but there is something about being about, something about music that's very cool. Yeah. There's something about being a fan of music yeah. that's very glib. Ah, and i feel that his his fandom of, of <laughs> beethoven is actually very glib it's a, it, you know he has it he has it as like interior decoration yeah. it fits in with his brand and his lifestyle <laughs> and that i see you know and i feel that like nowhere in no other fandom as much as music wow. do you use it to i mean i've you know i feel like music can be used to it can be used to bully it can be used to alienate yeah. it can be used to Attract
1: Yeah. If you use to do
0: all the things that the psychopath does. Yeah, so, so true. And I, and I was and those little of,
1: cultures around, like those subcultures, subcultures
0: around music are, are deadly and, yeah. and often f- and you know, and psychopaths are drawn to things you know that are you know that are that have a lot of people around them and are, are really cool. and yeah. music is, is it really ends up the being one. very destructive. Yeah, it yeah. can be incredibly destructive, and it's you know, it's got all mm. those lifestyle things that psychopaths like to do, like taking a lot of drugs and sleeping with a lot of people, and mm. you know, all of all of that stuff. And um, so, true. so, yeah, when I, when I, when I, you know, I do associate, I associate music with kind of with bullying a little mm, bit or with, you mm. know, or with, with just feeling bad
1: mm, a mm, lot. And mm, I have, mm, I always
0: have. Mm. And I've never really thought about it. But this, and, and as soon as the Beethoven oh. stuff started, I was like, oh.
1: That's interesting. Yeah,
0: And it really, it didn't add to his humanity for me, it added to his glibness. Wow. It was just more evidence of... <laughs> of really feeling nothing and, and, putting, yeah. and putting things that are very emotive in place of feelings yeah who needs feelings when you can talk about Beethoven or when you can play Beethoven it seems you know people and when things are empty people will fill them with whatever and you give them something yeah. like Beethoven and they'll take the emotion that comes from Beethoven and they'll attribute it to you oh yeah and that you know that happens to, you know with psychopaths that's so
1: true that's so true
0: and it happens with films like this, which are, you know, which are very beautiful and very yeah. cool and essentially, you know, and are, a little, and are a little, you know, have things in them that are a little empty. And you can put whatever you want into them.
1: And I think Kubrick did that all yeah. the time with music. All the time. You know, in so many of his films he's known for, um, kind of, especially with classical music, mm-hmm. he would bring them in a way modernize them, breathe new life, this kind of iconic, edgy dimension to them mm-hmm. through his films. And he, he, his his wife, Christiana, um, actually talked about his obses- his obsession with music. How he would just play something on repeat when he became obsessed with it mm-hmm. and then like actually structure scenes around that piece of music. That's how central it was for him. And so he was one of those probably like music freaks. Yeah, you know? of course.
0: And of course there are music freaks that are, genuinely have this extreme emotional connection. Yeah. But I think music's a dangerous thing. I think it can be used it to has that psychopathic emotion yeah. where there is none. Mm. You know, and it happened in the film. Yeah, in, it happened it, there's, in the film. There's a scene, you know, the scene where he gets out of prison <laughs> and he goes home and he's been replaced by a, a lot of... Oh, yeah. And, he, and and the music, the music is not like that in any other scene of the no. film. But you get this very standard textbook. I'm supposed to cry now. Music. It's really sad. It's really poignant. And he starts crying. Yeah. And you feel terrible for him. But you feel terrible for him because of the music. There's no other reason. It's very manipulative. It's really manipulative. <laughs> and I was also watching that crying and thinking, I've seen, I've seen those tears before. <laughs>
1: wow. They're so you know, That's the interesting. person that I knew
0: used to. I've never seen anyone cry alligator like this. tears. And it was and that it happened all the time all the time and it was and they were you know and this this scenario of, mm. of everyone hates me everyone right. hates me everyone's had enough of me happened all the time wow and it happened you know and people think that can't happen to psychopaths but it does happen to them all the time it's just yeah. that they'll be doing the same things again within a couple of hours sure so yeah that was really familiar they haven't me.
1: actually had they haven't redeemed themselves no they're j- they're it's just, just crocodile tears yeah. Yeah. yeah because that's
0: it's what just, they've yeah. seen <laughs> done you know and not often when people have a cry it means that they're going through some kind of change
1: it's a signifier yeah it's a signifier that's all it a, is What's, what's your handle on Instagram for the tears? Spilt Milk. Spilt women milk. crying. Yeah. yeah, Amazing. Uh,
0: thank you very much. I love it. A little plug for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, music is, I it's, yeah, it's, that is what, what I think about music. I think it's great, yeah. but I think it's dangerous and I think it can be used for evil mm. or just any kind of manipulation. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so the fact that he's really
1: into music for me is just it a fits, signifier of his yeah. manipulative. It fits that yeah. kind of structure, doesn't it? And it's kind of an interesting one because you also mentioned about your entryway into the film, how, you know, there had been this kind of like, uh, always warnings about the film Mm -hmm. and like, um. I guess the the history of that film in this country, because I'm Canadian. And so f- growing up, there wasn't that kind of uh, taboo around the film in Canada. Oh. Um, if anything, as soon as we entered, as soon as I entered high school, uh, the one film that, you know, all the bad kids uh, were encouraging me to watch was this. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to my local video store and, um, because you know we didn't have DVDs in those days, and uh, and I was a member, By the way, uh, just as a as a side note, I was a member of that video store since I was nine years old. Aww. I went in there, and I said, "I'm here to get a membership." Like I was obsessed. I wanted to watch all the films in the video store, and I was t- it was totally inappropriate. I was I was trying to rent out like. Horror, horror films and stuff. Just those
0: covers are just so compelling.
1: They're so compelling, I and remember. I, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and I was so attracted to all those kinds of films. Today's youth will never have that experience. I know, and it's really sad for them because there was nothing.
0: So. There was just nothing more
1: wonderful than the local video stuff. Oh my god, uh, I lo- it was my it was my happy place. Yeah, and um, and you know, actually. Fa- moving fast forward to um, when I was 19, I actually got a job, a part-time job working at a video store while I was at university, and I was held up at gunpoint. Oh I
0: just remembered that story. Yeah, in oh, a video gosh.
1: store. So like, you know, psychopathic violence yeah, inside baguettes. the video store. Yeah, it's just
0: violence does forget violence, and it's it's true, you know, it's so and true. it's not the fault of any if anyone that's, you know, started it off, but no, it does.
1: I mean, you know, I was fine. Nobody was hurt. Um... But it certainly didn't put me off film. But just to go back to when I was, when I went back as, you know, when I was a teenager and I went to my local video store, I got Clockwork Orange out. Uh, I watched it, not knowing anything about Kubrick. Like, I hadn't watched anything prior to that by him. And I was immediately seduced. I thought, who are these people? What is this? You know, what, what am I watching right now? And um I think it just appealed to a certain mindset I had at the time I was kind of like very rebellious yeah I was listening to grunge I was like you know um giving myself fake tattoos with eyeliner every day
0: (laughs) I would have been your friend
1: (laughs) oh my god I would have loved being friends with you that would have been so cool and so it just completely appealed to that you know, mental yeah. state I had, like "fuck the world." You know, I'm such a badass. But your
0: "fuck the world" was essentially coming from a, a lovely place of creativity. <laughs> but if your "fuck the world" is coming
1: from a terrible place, I know. Place, I know that's the it, thing. Yeah. But that's of course, the you thing. know,
0: we can't live our lives not consuming things because, a, you know, a handful of terrible people. Will it's take always it. a gamble. Yeah, it's always a gamble. But and you're quite all, right. All good culture is a gamble. Absolutely, in that way. I agree. Even I our agree. podcast could spur yeah. some terrible acts. I'm sure. <laughs> So we have to even even our podcast, which is the, the My Little Pony of,
1: of culture. Cause. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So for me, it has these kind of. I, I. I'm well aware that I'm coming into this reading of the film with that kind of very romanticized. And I think you know e-
0: equally, I realize that I'm coming into this reading of the film with this. So I like with this sort of. <laughs> Conservative, crotchety, like Not at you all. know, you know, it really is. I am in a position where I've inherited a, a, a whole different generation's mm. views yeah. of this film, yeah. And of course, they come, you know, they come from a completely different place, a completely different history, yeah. And it is shocking to them, it and is their experience was valid, yeah, like, completely what, valid, you know, you know?
1: absolutely. And,
0: but so yeah, I think we definitely come, from, I think that's what's so interesting about mm. our different readings of the film, that we come from such different directions.
1: Absolutely. And I, you know,
0: it's not natural for me to feel, <laughs> definitely crotchety is the word, it's not natural for me to feel crotchety <laughs> about a film, you know, because I am, you know, I oh, yeah. love cinema, I watch yeah. the thing. I watch the bad, I watch the good, I love, find good in the bad. Yeah. And I think this film is incredible. Yeah. But I definitely can't leave behind this socially constructed
1: no. I agree. A uh,
0: reaction to it, which is, this and is, I am- this is just silly. Like or no, whatever it is. and and
1: that is a completely, you know, um, sort of valid position to have and it, it, I just find it very ironic that you're the cool British one and I'm like the That's kind of I come so... from like Canada you know and we're and somehow we think we're so cool in Canada that we love Kukur. like I just find that ironic you know I,
0: it's, I think that is so I do think that is so part of British culture though to be like to be really offended by things that, that we're supposed to that you think we'd like it's yeah it's so I think it's very British but I mean I most people I I no, love this film, you know, I yeah. love this film, take a lot of inspiration from it, you know, for, especially because of that, you know, there's associations yeah. to Bowie, there's associations yeah. to... You know, all the other things that it sparked off in yeah. these great subcultures. Um, I just have a very strong... Yeah. I have a very strong father influence, and my father finds uh, it a bit offensive, you know? Uh, so, yeah.
1: I'm sure my dad would find it extremely offensive as well if I hadn't snuck it past him mm. and watched it in secret. Um, I'm I sh- actually
0: now remember that... Um, <laughs> I almost watched it when I was 15. Oh, yeah. I was with a group of, guys, we had a really good friend, yeah. Sam, and he had it. Yeah. And he um, I th- he was like, he was like Mormon. Yeah. So like, I think oh, he wow. was having, it. was like in his year of rebellion before oh, he settled down. And um, so he was like, oh, let's watch this film, Poplar Orange. <laughs> and it was me and a few girls, and we sat and watched. We watched it until the scene in the theatre with oh, that yeah. very buxom woman being raped. Or not being raped, just kind of being dragged around. Dragged around, which yeah. Which is, you know, it's is one of the scenes where I was like, come on, this, mm, is, this mm, is really. Mm. It's kind um, of absurd. It's absurd, yeah. and it's it's just like Let's get all the shots of her boobs that we can, and you know, it's just, they, they just it's, it's it's impractical
1: for raping. Very impractical. Um,
0: and, and um, we and we just all you know, it was there was no curiosity in it yeah. no there was no you know what there's no bad girl instincts in any yeah. of this for that film at all, and I think we were quite. We were quite good girls oh, as a group you. of friends. We were all like fairly content to yeah. not do anything that bad, <laughs> and we all just were like, could we turn it off, please? Yeah, and it and that's the only time I would have had an opportunity to watch it. Mm. And it's really, it's, but I was and I was watching. We were I watched. What is so strange is that you know with the same friends I watched Baisemoir, oh, I watched yeah. The Secretary, I watched you know all of these films made But those are of, much
1: more female they driven, are, and they made all the
0: men really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I remember just them hating, uh, you know, and all of oh, these, yeah. and I and I loved them. Mm-hmm. So there is, I'm clearly a, a terrible hypocrite because I am uncomfortable with violence perpetuated by men. Extremely comfortable when it's perpetuated mm. by women. That's interesting. You know, from the girl in the purple yeah. wig to yeah. the you know the rape revenge, all of that stuff. Yeah. It just it doesn't. Face me at
1: all mm. so well I can't believe this is the end of this series on mental illness and cinema yes. and this has been an amazing chat mm-hmm. um, we're working been a yeah very good chat.
0: We've been oh yeah very long time. I
1: think we've covered all the bases I think
0: we have
1: um, a
0: bit wiped out
1: yeah I, I love it yeah. I'm always I, every time I speak to Sarah I have like this like bliss at the end of it it's so nice it's <laughs> intellectual like in, euphoria well, at least
0: we're making each other happy <laughs>
1: <laughs> love it.
0: If no so one's good. listening. You've <laughs> had a great six weeks.
1: If you've listened until this point, you are so cool. You yeah, rock. You we are. love you. We do love you. And we're working on the next series already, and we're going to be launching soon. So um, keep up with us on, uh, on, on our socials. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Yeah, it has I've been. Thank you so much, it. Sarah. Thank you. Hi again.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Projections podcast. We really, really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, we would really appreciate it if you could recommend us to all of your friends or rate and review us on
1: iTunes because that way we get more listeners. Yeah. And just spread the word and follow us also on our socials. You can find us on Instagram at Projections Podcast, as well as uh, look up our Facebook page, Projections Podcast. Um, You can also find us on our individual Twitter accounts. Um, Mine is uh, at Psychstar, P-S-Y-C-S-T-A-R. And Sarah's is
0: Sarah K. Cleaver.
1: Perfect. Um, yeah, and also feel free to email us, too. Uh, we're projectionspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any film recommendations you have that could um, sort of work with the categories we've been discussing uh, or just any feedback, really, if you have complaints or just anything. We'd love to hear from you. If you have
0: complaints, try and put them in a polite, nice way.
1: Please. <laughs> um, and then finally, we do have a Patreon.
0: If you would like to support us with small monthly donations, we would really appreciate that. We You can find us on Patreon just under Projections Podcast. It would help us to continue to put the time in to research and record the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.